choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and whomsoever you may choose to identify as, welcome to the Daustronaut podcast. Thank you for joining me, your host, Ben Baldieri, on this journey to the edge of the blockchain universe where we will be exploring the uncharted expanses of the DAO space. DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations are made possible through blockchain technology and will form the backbone of Web 3.0. DAOs represent the next frontier of human creativity, collaboration and potential and give us the opportunity to fundamentally reimagine how we organize, what we organize around and why we choose to do it. On this voyage, I will be interviewing the most exciting and innovative projects in the DAO space picking apart what exactly it is that they are up to, analyzing how they are going about it, and understanding why they too have embarked on this quest into the expanse. In doing this, and in you, my fellow Daosonauts, choosing to join me on this odyssey, we will learn just how revolutionary DAOs can and will be. These organizations and this way of organizing are going to change absolutely everything. And in choosing to join me on this adventure, you have secured your seat on the fastest rocket into the decentralized future. To say that I am excited about the promise that this future holds would be an absolute understatement. So let's all suit up, lay back and strap in for launch. One thing that I must insist that everybody remembers for the duration of this voyage is that nothing that is said on this podcast is financial advice. With that in mind, please sit back and enjoy the ride. And we are live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the first ever live streamed episode of The Daustronaut. Thank you very much for joining me. If you have not listened to the Daustronaut before or you are not familiar with who I am, my name is Ben Baldieri and the Daustronaut is ultimately an educational initiative. I put this together because there is an awful lot of information out there at the moment and there is not a huge amount of information that is either useful or relevant about DAOs and DAOs are arguably going to form the backbone of everything that is going to come with web3 so making sure that you are educated with what is going on what is going to happen and what is happening in the space is absolutely imperative to that end i'm joined this evening with drew and jeremy coven 
Um, I'm sure that you've seen them on LinkedIn. They are absolutely everywhere as well, but I will not to say too much more. Uh, Drew and Jeremy, if you'd like to give yourselves a, a little introduction. Sure. Uh, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We really appreciate the opportunity. I'll, I'll be brief because I definitely want to make sure we cover as much as uh, you've got in store for us, sir. So my, uh, my background is I'm a Web 1 a pioneer, Web 2, and now Web 3. Uh, I started out in 97, 98 in e-commerce, and really I got involved with the internet grocery. That was my first entry point into e-commerce, and it was the Wild West back then. I mean, there were questions around whether Amazon was a real business or was it a fad or was it a scam and all different kinds of uh, technologies and all different types of entrepreneurs from all different places with one page business plans, trying to figure out this thing called the internet. And uh, web two really was the next gen when you start thinking about the proliferation of social media and you think of form factor migrating from desktops uh, to laptops to then tablets and smartphones and bringing brands, Facebook commerce, for those of you who have uh, are old enough to remember that, and different ways to extend your brand, whether it's a product or service, into new mediums, different ways to build community through social media, and all the way through to where we are today, Web3, the, the, there are many similarities in terms of entrepreneurs, in terms of innovation, as well as in terms of uh, experience and access to information. And that's really thematically why I got into this. Um, I was retired and uh, my son, Jeremy, you may have come to realize we look a bit alike and we are father and son. He got me uh, back and he said, hey, dad, you know, there's a lot going on in the market. You've helped build brands. You were president of Digital of Steve Madden. You ran digital and omni-channel retail for Guest Global. You run different companies from food to footwear to toys to fashion. You've been involved with music and ultimately a family office of investing. He said, I, I could really use your help. And I think there are a lot of people like me in the marketplace, uh, Zillennials, Gen Xers, Gen Z, who need help simplifying the complexity and making sure that they understand the opportunities and the challenges that come alongside of in innovation and transformation so that it can be done right or we can bring information to the forefront. And I started doing some research and Jeremy was uh, quite convincing. And before you knew it, I got hooked. I saw the, what the communities are doing and the creators. That really got me excited. This whole new way, this whole new dimension and a willingness and a readiness, such great people who really want to come together to do everything from forming investment groups to impact groups. And it really took me back to when I got involved with digital. What was really powerful for me was the power of community and that it didn't mean that the person who uh, had the most authority in the room was the best informed and really democratizing building these things. So I have to thank my son for uh, encouraging me, but I also am very grateful that I've had a career where I've been exposed to and done many things, learned many, many lessons along the way. And I have the pleasure and opportunity to help share my knowledge because really what this comes down to is I don't have a horse in the race. 
I want to see the metaverse, Web3, uh, decentralization, democratization, the emergence and ascendancy of the creator communities really take front and center and achieve an equitable form of uh, participation economically, socially. I don't want to see something controlled by the interests of a few uh, when there are so many that can be so beneficial who I believe are part of this audience. So I, I am excited to be here today. I'm going to now kick over to my partner here, uh, Jeremy, and he can give you a quick background on what he's doing. Thank you. Um, who he is. Yeah. Who he is. So I am a 21-year-old university student who has been in the crypto space for five or six years without me really even realizing how long I've been in the space. I originally got into it, whether my dad knows it or not, with online gambling. Now I know. Now, now he knows. Because the only way that you were able to gamble legally online was by buying Bitcoin and transferring that into an account. So I was starting to really get a feel for what this digital currency could be, but it wasn't until probably three years later, a little bit before the beginning of the pandemic, when I really started to dive into the technical side of how cryptocurrencies work with the blockchain and everything that entails. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 10 or 11 years old when I started my first clothing company. And ever since, I've just had this serious obsession with starting brands and trying to uh, be a trendsetter. So I'm looking to play an integral role in what's going on with Web3. I'm obsessed with the community aspect of what's going on. And I think that's really what's driving most of my interest. I have a really interesting set of interests and my peers when I was younger didn't necessarily align with them. And what I see with Web3 and specifically with NFTs is that you could be interested in anything and you could be anywhere in the world and somebody else probably aligns with what you're interested in. And for me, that's super meaningful because I kind of felt like a loner at some points in my life. And I think this is a way that it's opening up the world to everybody being able to interact together. Absolutely. And thank you very much for sharing, guys. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the community aspect of what this technology enables in terms of the collaboration, in terms of the community, like the way that people can organize around things that typically if you were taking like a, a Web2 funding model or prior to that, people wouldn't have been able to, to fund these things, wouldn't have been able to build like some way to support like that interest so like the community aspect and how integral it is like drew i think it's fascinating that you're both like and jeremy like the both of you are kind of coming at this community aspect from obviously very different experience points from a, a very diverse set of professional experiences between the two of you but again like it's interesting that this is the focal point so in terms then of like how the community is evolving um one trend that we are now starting to see a little bit more of in the space and ultimately the reason why i started this podcast is a lot more discussion around DAOs. so how would you guys define a DAO? well i mean there's the there's the acronym what it stands for decentralized autonomous organization but from my experience as an investor um the way that we look at DAOs is Again, there's a couple of different ways to think about investing. There's investing your dollars, hard dollars, and creating an entity that has a governance structure, albeit it may be decentralized, but there is still a structure. 
when you have to vote on things, uh, if there are distributions of money, if you are removing somebody from the organization, buying somebody out, changing policy procedure, those things still remain. And one of the things that we talk about a lot are not to confuse decentralization with anarchistic uh, uh, disorganization. There is structure. There is accountability. The beauty of a DAO, the decentralized nature of it allows for more people to participate in the voting structure versus centralizing decision-making amongst a very small group. However, the framing of those things that need to be decided on still has an element of centralization. What is it that we're voting on? Now, the, the community can vote, but someone still has to organize the votes. If it is a financial and investment DAO, there are implications. There are taxes that may need to be distributed, profits. There are rules around buying somebody out, perhaps, uh, the smart contracts that govern how things are to be administrated. And there's a structure that sits atop, albeit perhaps in parity, it's, it's not a hierarchical structure, but it still has structure. Now, that's on a financial capital side. There's also the human capital side. When you bring together a group of people that are uh, aligned to a cause or a guild or a teal, you know, there's some other terminologies from the past, those two may not be distributing financial capital, but they're allocating human capital and they're allocating social capital. And they have a governance structure which says, this is who what we believe in, this is what we don't, this is what we're here to achieve, this is what we're not, this is in lane, out of bounds, and so on and so forth. So when we when we look at a DAO, we see it as a continuation, and in many respects, an enhancement, but we don't see it as something that throws out all the rules because you still need to make sure that there are safeguards. But we, we do love that it democratizes access to the ability for people to have the opportunity to weigh in on decisions and to be more purists in terms of what's important to them versus a very stiff corporate structure that says, your idea may have started out like this, we may have started out with a mandate like this, but someone along the way decided to pull the rug out from under all of us. We don't know who, but we're just going to go along with it. And, and that no longer is applicable when you have the community that's helping to set the rules, but within a framework to be able to actually set, vote, and then change if need be. So let me stop there. Hopefully uh, that was helpful for the audience. Oh, for sure. And I think the, the points that you make around ultimately like what what is the purpose of a DAO and it's something that we're we're seeing a lot more talk of now um with the success of for example Olympus DAO um prior to Christmas there was this massive amount of interest in like oh like this is the first like proper set of DAOs that are really starting to like get some significant traction in the space and ultimately this is kind of this has shaped the, the discourse. This has shaped the discussion around what a DAO is or what a DAO is supposed to be or what a DAO could be. Um, this is great on the one hand because it is stimulating conversation around something which is going to become progressively more important as things develop, but also in the same way that 
DeFi has kind of dominated the conversation and made all discussion around blockchain ultimately revolve around money. This sort of exposure from for Olympus DAO and other finance related DAOs has also then kind of shaped the discourse around like what a DAO is supposed to be is like a, is a DAO specifically something with a treasury that is attached to it, which is then going to be used to invest in or support other protocols. No, basically, that's not necessarily what a DAO is. That what a DAO is, what a DAO has to be. Um, and to to add to what you say, a DAO is ultimately uh, a method to mobilize a community, to engage a community, and to effectively make use of the human capital that exists within the community. If there is some real capital attached to it, and there is a real treasury that is attached to that community, then that's kind of a second order effect. That's not necessarily the primary goal. That's not the primary purpose of that community. So in terms of then of like this focus on the financial side of things as opposed to the social side of things at the moment what are your thoughts on that well i i think ben it's great that we've kind of separated out there are multiple purposes for organizational structures a dao being one of them and the emphasis on the dao and i think you know it's sometimes it's the decentralized but that that's kind of a big term and can mean a lot of things it's the democratization of uh, decision-making and voting um, where your, you know, your, your group, your community uh, within the DAO has the ability to bring forth opportunities to craft and drive narratives. And they may be uh, simultaneous. It's not just one. It may be, there's a, there's a lot of different things. If it's a, a DAO that's set up for charitable causes, um, to be able to expand upon that or further define that as things develop and to react very quickly, uh, companies tend to be a little bit slower and very bureaucratic. So the ability to recognize DAOs far beyond an investment DAO is where I think the emphasis has been uh, kind of bringing together a group and pooling like a digital piggy bank, pooling a group of people together, almost like a SPAC in certain respects, uh, or a special purpose investment vehicle where you're, you're pooling people and you have a mandate that you're going to invest in XYZ. But exactly your point, that is on the financial level. If you're allocating human capital and saying this group is going to go clean up parks or this group is coming together to help with education or literacy, and then and 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 where there may or may not be an economic uh, decision, it's just we're coming together and we're deploying human capital on projects or it may be a hybrid. And then there are all other formats of it. Let me give it to Mike, to Jeremy a little bit here to talk about generationally yeah. some of the, the applications from, from his point of view. And I think you make a great point where a lot of people associate DAOs with money. A DAO doesn't necessarily have to do with anything financially. Really what a DAO can be is it could just be an organization of people coming together for a common goal, which is really what a DAO is. For example, I'm thinking of creating DAOs where people come together just to fund a charitable foundation. Not that I'll ever profit on a charitable foundation, but just a DAO is a great step in the right direction for doing things better, in my personal opinion, at least. And and to that point, uh, having had the pleasure of serving on uh, boards of 501c3s and philanthropic uh, boards as well in various capacities, 
it tends to be that there, there's a concentration of decision-making around a small group. And that doesn't necessarily lead. If you don't have a diversity of opinion or you have a group that there's a polarization and a handful of people all vote a block, um, you're not going to get the best outcomes, whether it's financial or social impact or philanthropy. You're, you're going to basically, it, you run into the, the risk of uh, sycophants. Um, and, and I think one of the beautiful things about the DAO uh, or a DAO structure is it inherently wants to push diversity, equity, inclusion, and accommodation. It is, it, when engineered properly in its purest form, it really is about, um, you know, D-E-I-N-A or D-I-E-N-A, you know, depends, some people say diversity, equity, diversity, inclusion, equity, and accommodation, um, uh, D-E-N-I. But it, it's very foundation to Jeremy's point and Ben, to your point, and what we're hearing in speaking to many members of the community is it it can take the form and flavor depending upon what you want to apply it to. If it's a, a for public benefit, if it's for philanthropy, for commercial interests, yet it opens up everyone to have an opportunity to continuously weigh in with a set of rules that the group has agreed to and can update without having to go through tremendous bureaucracy or say, well, we're never, it's never going to change. And then you run the risk of it losing its vibrancy and people dropping out. And you're not able to achieve the core missions why the DAO was established because people are like, forget it. The reason I joined, it's static. It won't change. I have no voice here. And it, it just dies off. Fantastic. And I think that you raised some really interesting points there around, um, what is the ultimate purpose of a DAO and the, the the democratization aspects of how you can facilitate a much greater level of engagement from a community because you are able to actively engage that community in the decision-making process and in the governance mm -hmm. of that community as well. But I think before we kind of dig into the, the governance aspects of um of a DAO or what it, what what they could be because I mean ultimately at this point it's a blue ocean nobody really knows what the best way to govern a DAO is correct if we were to look at governance from a conventional standpoint so looking at governance from if you're like a traditional corporation so again Drew building on your drawing on your experience from um, serving on the board of various types of organization what would a a typical governance structure look like well. You you would decide if it's a if a financial or let let me let me kind of streamline it. You mm -hmm. would first want to establish what the goals and objectives are. What is the why? What is the purpose? So you start at kind of the top of the pyramid and say, why are we part of this to start with? And sometimes that's called a mission, a mission statement, you know, whatever, whatever you define it as. It's what's the why. From there, you start layering in your bylaws or your governance structure. It's going to have this many people at the top who are responsible for making sure that the ongoing nature of the organization persists. So at the end of the day, who's accountable? Who Who's doing what to make sure and by when and within what rules? When we go to vote for something, what is it a majority? Is it a super majority? How much time is allocated for people to be able to vote? Um, and all these things 
you start at the top layer and start framing out what's the why, what's the purpose, what are the basic ground rules uh, that we're proposing. So in the formation of the entity, you start at the beginning with the people that are bringing this forth and saying, we're creating this for this purpose. And here are the rules we're proposing. What did we miss? You then look and say, if it is an issue of financial, uh, there's treasury, there's um, disclosure, uh, risk disclosures that have to be published. Uh, there is dispute resolution issues that need to be put to bed or put together. So the things can be put to bed that don't upset the integrity of the ongoing operational ability of the organization. Um, there are the boundaries. These are things we will do. These are things we won't do. These are things we must vote on doing. So there may be absolutes. There may be maybes. So it's really kind of laying out those things up front so that the people that you're asking to participate as your group gets larger can get a proper orientation from the get-go versus I, this is thing feels very messy and I don't know what this is all about or I don't know what we're trying to achieve. And then it goes more into, depending upon the specific nature, uh, you know, what is the length of engagement with a particular partner? If it's about planting trees, is that global? Is that regional? What happens when we've finished? How do we vote on the next organization next year? If we collect monies uh, and we still have money left over in the treasury because it's for public benefit, do we have to uh, distribute all that at the end of it? And then you put all that to a vote. There's a lot more to it, but I think um, that's you know probably in the interest of, of the question, that's where, where I would start from. And then you you just keep building on that. For sure, for sure. And I think the thing that is really important to understand at the moment is because the the DAO space is ultimately completely uncharted. Like this is something that hasn't been done before. And because this hasn't been done before, on the one hand, it means that there is no best way of doing things. So it's it's a fantastic opportunity for new ideas, new business practices, new ways of looking at things and doing things, engaging communities and whatever to be to be thought of. But then ultimately, I think there is a trend that exists in the space at the moment because of the nature of the entrance into the space. Typically, they are individuals who are like they are trendsetters. And with a trendsetter mindset often comes potentially a little bit more of a willingness to break the rules. Now, this is neither a good thing nor a bad thing. This is just generally the way it is. But in bringing that mentality perhaps without an eye on what went before and a willingness to learn the lessons that those who have pioneered what was done before are willing to teach. That is something that has the potential to really bite people in the ass, as it were. And to that end, I'm, I'm sure there are myriad pitfalls um, going forward. And we, we spoke briefly yesterday um, about this pitfalls in the DAO space. So where do we and, begin? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to draw a distinction. There's breaking the rules and there's breaking the laws. Yes. And there, there is a distinction between the two. Sometimes you have to crack eggs to make omelets. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you some history, some funny history. I worked for a company and I had just started and there was some lore within the company that this is the way we've always done things. And I said, well, that makes no sense 
please introduce me to the person that put that policy in place. I'd like to talk to that person and understand what was the logic behind that decision. So I'm not going to change something till I understand why it's there. I, I mean, I, it's, I was new to the company, so that, that would have been derelict in, in, um, in my capacity to just say, I don't care. I, you know, that'd be more ego driven. It turns out that that person had to work there in five years and was no, and, 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 and I said, well, well, so you're still following something that the person doesn't work here. Um, so it's a very funny example of sometimes those rules don't apply any longer and, but you're not, you're not breaking anything per se. You're not upsetting anything per se, but you're just saying, listen, maybe five, six years ago, there was perfectly good reason, but that person doesn't work here. Nobody's heard from that person for years. Um, and you can't tell me why we still do it that way. Cause you don't even agree with it now because it was institutionalized and became myth or lore within the company. Everybody obeyed it blindly and then nobody was, nobody challenged it. Um, so that's a, that's a case where when you have a different paradigm where people are invited to engage uh, and you're not breaking laws, you're, you're, you're breaking rules to make new rules because those rules no longer apply. That's like saying, well, we only want to go to stores and shop. Well, you know, we, but we create new technology. Well, you know something? We're not going to create cars. We still want to ride horses. It, please don't like don't violate the sanctity of the horse. Um, sometimes you step up and say, it doesn't make any sense anymore. It's no longer efficient. The world has changed for a number of reasons. It's global. But there's a distinction between breaking laws and when you are doing things or representing uh, interests of groups that may not be in compliance for a number of reasons. Um, we're going to go in a we're going to go uh in principle, our group is going to go and break into prisons to break people out or whatever it is. Um, there's a line that has to be drawn. I know that may be an extreme example, or we're going to go raid government buildings, which uh, ironically is not a fictitious thing, um, just because, you know, that's breaking laws versus breaking rules per se. There, there's certain protocols, a certain way to do things, which the beauty of a DAO is a well-defined and designed DAO or a corporate governance structure has thought to the extent that it can through these issues, how it could fail. And it wants to be productive versus disruptive. It wants to break in the interest of productive disruption versus it wants to be a nuisance in terms of disrupting to destruct with no real clear understanding. We just want to break shit. Pardon my... Mm. Pardon my uh, my Brooklyn English, but um, no, not at all, <laughs> not at all. Let me kick uh, it to Jeremy here, Ben. I, I'm yeah, please. He may, he may have a different point of view, or or the same. I ha I very much have the same point of view. I just want to say that I think that this is the time where people and companies and DAOs really are able to establish themselves as it, it's so early to what's going on in this space. DAOs, not to say that they have not been around for a few years, but they have this whole space has gotten so hot as of the last few months and short years that this is where people can truly establish and define the way in which these things get governed. That's a great point. The 
You can bring best practice to. I think there are only 200 or some uh, DAOs. I, I the last number I read was 180 to 200, give or take. Um, so they're not many. Jeremy makes a, a fantastic point. There's an opportunity here collectively with communities mm -hmm. to put good practice in place. And the way to do that is not to for, say there should be everything should be ambiguous, but to push the point of decision making uh, in a democratized fashion within frameworks where people feel that they had the ability to be heard. They may not win every decision because, again, if it's a, a simple majority or whatever, but they their voice was their voice was heard. And there's the other distinction is a decentralized decision making. Somebody's going to be on the side of the decision that they don't like. So decentralized doesn't mean everybody will doesn't mean unanimous, so to speak. So I just wanted to yeah. clarify. Mm. Um, and I that's think, how we talk about it. As and well. I think having a voice is so critically important because a lot of the web threeers and dowers for lack of better terms feel like they kind of have not had a voice that the centralization has kind of pushed their thoughts and viewpoints down so much and diluted their opinions that this is the way that each person gets that voting right each person essentially has an equal chance of making a difference as to what's occurring within the DAO. And I think that's critical to what's going on here. Oh, for sure. And I like, it is so early at the moment in this particular subsect of the space, there is so much opportunity to, to get involved and ultimately have a pretty significant impact in terms of shaping the discourse, shaping the direction that things are going um and ultimately facilitating that much greater level of engagement that is going to be essential going forward because harking back to, to what you mentioned earlier in terms of the distinction between breaking the rules and then breaking the law there is a tremendous amount of value in looking at the way that things have been done and then reimagining a better way to do it and ultimately that is what blockchain and all of the the web3 technologies allow they allow us to take a step back look at the existing systems that we have and reevaluate them in a way that has never previously been possible but in order for people to get on board with that reevaluation and with whatever that new vision ends up being there has to be an attitude of understanding and collaboration now collaboration exists within the web3 community and it's fantastic and it's renowned for it, but there also has to be that collaborative attitude to those outside of the community as well. Otherwise, ultimately, I mean, this is just the way it is at the moment. The people outside of the community are the ones who have all of the levers, who have all of the controls and who have the ability to squash whatever it is that is going on. That yeah, is a, a real great, and present danger. Yeah. It's a great point. And Ben, you know, just to add to what you're saying, fantastic points. We live in a global society, so the ability to create DAOs, whether they're financial or impact or whatever, whatever the why for the formation, also it's an especially exciting time because of the cross-cultural and cross-geographical nature of what we're. So the collaboration isn't just. Ten of us in the room and at the pub in the UK, and we 
I can't wait to get out and see you. Um, or or 10 of us in a room in the U.S. It's We're talking about creating global organizations in real time and real decision making who whose members have aligned interests, whether I want to, whether it's uh, clean energy, um, clean energy is not a, uh, a local or regional issue. It is a global issue that we act locally or regionally on, but we want to build groups and relationships to have an aligned message so that we can bring about real change. I mean, that's where it gets really exciting. And that's where I'm looking at what Jeremy and his generation is doing, whether it's culturally or cause related, and they are more diverse than ever before. There's a greater desire for inclusion of, of opinions and, and voices and communities to get to better, whether it's gender, age, ethnicity. Um, there is so much more of a desire for the creative communities to do what they do best, be creative. I completely agree. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, for sure. And I think that's that's ultimately it. It's all about representation. Um, and we have an amazing tool that allows us to foster representation directly without having to kind of rely on some third party platform or entity or whatever it may be to represent our interests for us, because we now have the ability to do it ourselves. Yeah. That being said... Mm -hmm. Exactly. There are not there. It's it's not necessarily going to be an easy thing. And circling back to what we mentioned earlier about there being a lot of people in the space who are not necessarily having an eye on the past and the way that things have been done in the past, there are obviously a large number of pitfalls with what is to come. So we had a, a little chat about this yesterday. Potential pitfalls in the DAO space at the moment. Um, I think a good place to start with that would be human capital. Human capital isn't something necessarily something that one would associate with there being a, a lot of risk associated, especially at the moment with the conversation around DAOs being almost entirely focused on finance. So what would you say that some of the potential pitfalls would be around human capital in the DAO space at the moment? Well, there's a, a, a couple of different ways to dimensionalize human capital. So I want to make sure I understand how you're, how you're thinking about it so I can... Mm. Um, I, you know, Jeremy and I can give you give you an answer. But when you say human capital, uh, can you give us a little bit more insight into yeah. what you're thinking? Sure. So in terms of, let's say, um, for example, this is currently being streamed on LinkedIn. And we are all respectively members of a group called Reorg. Reorg yeah. is arguably the single most concentrated place of Web3 talent on the entirety of LinkedIn at the moment, and that is a tremendous well of human capital. There is a huge amount of potential to, to leverage said capital for whatever, but obviously there are gonna be some risks associated with leveraging that human capital as well. So yes. in terms of that. I, so the, you know, the key, and again, this is, this is my, my watching Jeremy and, and how uh, his generation is doing this, which is amazing to see. Um, it's, really taking the temperature and the inventory and and helping people understand what their roles and responsibilities are within that framework of human capital. So it's the allocation of the human capital. Um, it's, it's really understanding that you have a tremendous asset 
and how are you allocating the asset in an organized way to achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve? Because you can't, I mean, you could, but you wouldn't want human capital going off in 20 different directions, mm -hmm. incredibly disorganized, uh, everybody being the champion of the initiative that they deem to be the priority. You'd want to get alignment of the human capital against the goals and assignment to those that want to take the next step and lead certain initiatives so that everybody is working in lockstep versus tripping tripping over one another uh, in in a in a human capital situation, and that the people that are actually involving and engaging and doing things are doing it in a way where it's a cooperative effort. Um, but that has to be established up front because you you have you may have a lot of people with a lot of different ideas about uh, what they want to do, but. If you're looking to nail something into a wall, you need a hammer, not a wrench. Mm -hmm. So it that's very similar to human capital. We're we're all assets. We're we're all intellectual. We have physical abilities. We have uh, some of us are creative. Some of us are very uh, logically logic oriented. Uh, some of us are great speakers. Some of us are great listeners. Some of us are great leaders. Some of us are great implementers. Yeah. So let me let yeah. me. And to that, that point, I'd even argue that. Human capital, especially in Web3, is the most important form of capital. We all we keep talking about community, and there is no community without without other humans. Um, I know personally that all the things that I'm achieving in the Web3 space, I attribute to my team. Without having a great a great group of people behind me, I would be getting very little accomplished. I can say that with uh, a great amount of confidence. And I think, you know, again, I, I love this conversation because the, as I listen to you, Ben, and to Jeremy, I, I'm like, I've got an insight for that one. I've got an experience to share uh, alongside that one. It's to respect the capital. Mm -hmm. So having the capital is one thing, but investing in it, investing into it, investing it, deploying it properly and respecting the capital, respecting people, respecting their talents, respecting the desire that they want to contribute, hearing what they have to say, engaging in courageous conversations around things, looking for symmetrical and asymmetrical opportunities. It, it Again, it's it's what Jeremy's saying. It's what you're saying. It's what all the people in uh, Reorg are saying. It's how do we harness the collective intellectual and emotional uh, and professional power of the group so that everybody wins. Yep. And there's an equitable distribution, whether it's, uh, you know, I just feel good that I made a difference or I feel good that I made some money, whatever it may be. The equitability is really what's critical in terms of, of human capital, feeling recognized, appreciated, rewarded, engaged, and not disposable. So, that's the difference between a traditional corporate structure, which tends to be a very hierarchical. Here's your job. Here's your role. Do as you say, do as you're told, you know, stay within these boundaries. That's the old rules. And the world has changed dramatically in the last two or three years. Those models in and of themselves don't work. They're, they're, they've been pushed to say the evolution is now 
taking place. We can no longer have ridiculous work hours. We can no longer have decisions that dilute the original intent of the product or the service or overlook those who contributed, uh, who get no credit for their contributions. That that just will not work anymore. And it's not working. Hence, the, the rise of, of the Dow type of opportunity, if you will. Uh, we have the, the the great resignation happening at the same time as well as this this rise of a, a different way of doing things. And as you say, like the, the whole kind of stay in your lane mentality, keep your head down, work hard, and maybe someone will throw you a bone at some point. Um, just doesn't fly anymore no. because people are people are tired people are frustrated with the way that things work like marginalized communities um chronic underrepresentation, feeling as though your voice is not being heard feeling as though you're not being empowered to do your job um it just doesn't it's just it's just not good enough and now we have a technology stack available to us which allows us to to reimagine things but again that doesn't mean that there are not risks involved so Let's say you have a uh, a DAO with a huge amount of talent and you have a bad actor, for example, someone who is not necessarily putting the interests of the community at the forefront of their mind and they are looking to leverage said community to further their own agenda. Um, what would that look like in a DAO? How could that happen? You want to take that one? I'll let you start. You want me to start? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> um, I think that within the governance of the DAO, there would be built in, and I bet it's a, it's a great question, and it's one that's why you have operating agreements. Um, it's one where you agree to the operating agreement. Here's the difference. You can draft an operating agreement and then build it into the smart contract. And that everyone can vote on it. And once everyone's voted, if it's a simple majority, that's the rule. You would want to build these things into your governance structure ahead of time to the extent that you can anticipate how it could fail or how it could potentially be disrupted. Mm -hmm. And then the group in and of itself, you'd say, well, here are, here are the options up for vote. Option one is a simple majority you're out. Or a, if you violate one of these three things, and in some cases it could be as simple as if you use the DAO for your self-interests, there, there's, there's, they're done, you're out. I mean, I'm giving you an extreme example. And, and then put that out there. But it will take on the tenure and tenor and tone of the DAO and its heart and soul and its culture. Mm -hmm. Some may say, listen, we, we give people three chances. You screw up three times, three strikes, you're out. Some may say, no, these are absolute cardinal sins. That really depends on the nature of the DAO uh, in terms of what it is trying to achieve and where it can go out of bounds and where it absolutely uh, cannot. Let me now yeah. that I started you off, yeah, thank you. You get you, you take it yeah. from here. Just son. to add a little bit onto that, I think, and like we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, with proper structure, things like this will be weeded out. I think the idea behind the DAO is everybody has to provide, and if somebody is not providing and or they're just using this human capital for another motive, people will be will be able to weed that out and to collectively and in a very fair way, be able to figure out like, you are not 
working towards the common goal, which is what we keep talking to is all this is leading towards one major goal and that all the pieces kind of need to fit and work towards in that direction. And, and you'd, and you'd hope to Jeremy's point, you'd hope that you're in a decentralized structure, you're reducing friction and politics yeah. versus enabling them. Yeah. So if you establish the rules up front, nobody can argue that it's unfair, it's unreasonable, it was take, it was put to a vote. And the intent of the vote and the intent of the rules are we as a group made the rules. We didn't impose them upon you. A majority made the rules. Yep. And by the way, if the rules don't work for you, you don't have to be part of the DAO. Yeah, and it was this person's decision in the first place to join the DAO yeah. as it could equally be their decision to leave the DAO. I mean, I, with any DAO that I'm going to be a part of, it, I will personally have a real meaningful connection to the DAO. And you can also um, you can also add or, or delete from it and say that rule, again, the example I gave five years ago, why would we, it, you can say we have evolved and that's the beauty of the smart contract and how quickly you can put something to a vote. You have a structure in place versus maybe six months, maybe five years from now we'll vote on it. Yep. Again, that, that, by the way, that's a real story and that's not an uncommon story but if there are mission critical decisions that need to be made, which are in the best interest of achieving goals and removing friction and roadblocks, the DAO really is about, we don't want to be political. We want to be productive. And mm -hmm. that's what makes it really special uh, and, and doing getting the setup right from the get-go. And that that's that's really what this comes down to. How do we make it better to, in fact, make it better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, at the moment in this space, you're you're seeing the term DAO pop up left, right and center, generally because there is a particular project that has started at the end of one particular meta narrative as to what is going on in the space. And then they've kind of run out of steam or what their original use case was going to be. So they stick some sort of blockchain voting mechanism into the protocol and then they end up calling themselves a DAO and then inevitably they end up running into problems because as you say like things haven't been done right from the get-go things haven't been considered and this idea of having a constitution if you will like a clearly defined set of rules of like this is how the DAO operates this is what the people in the DAO these are the rules that the people have to subscribe to these are the operating procedures um having a mind for all of this essential infrastructure effectively is a, a it, it the importance of it cannot be overstated because there are thousands of ways to do things wrong at the moment and very few ways to do things right because we haven't yet collectively made enough mistakes to figure out where the pitfall where all of the pitfalls are yeah ben but then, you, you raise i mean that's a great point and i think that open-mindedness which you're getting at is hey this is not you know absolute there's a lot of room and that really really pushes the issue of people's open-mindedness and okay well let's talk about that let's talk about the upside let's talk about potential downside let's bring in resources around us whether it's lawyers or it's prof other professional services people to help us with our in addition or or Within our DAO, we already have those resources. So back to the human capital uh, question, Ben. Okay, who do we have in our group that has subject matter competency? And I say competency 
you know, I don't want the, the, the I don't like thought leadership or uh, expertise. Who is competent? And competency may not only be with a subject matter, but their ability to moderate a discussion stylistically. Because you may be very competent with the subject matter, but your your style is like a, a hammer, um, which that's not the right tool in a healthy DAO, with the exception that when the rules are broken, somebody has to be the whip, so to speak. Not not to punish, but to maintain the integrity. So I, I think it there's, but the open mindedness, and I, I think that's so critical that we know we're in the early stages. There are many many interpretations, and people are using the term DAO in in, in ways that to me it sometimes it's like, well, you're an interest group. Yeah, um, you're not a DAO. It's like saying we're a company. Well, are you incorporated? Um, but again, that's I think that's just it's an appropriate catch-all term. Setting it up now, the pioneer, and and really, really trying to get a structure where somebody else can say, oh, look at that DAO as an example. That's a lightweight structure, but it could work for me because I don't want people, nor did Jeremy want people to be so overwhelmed that they don't get started. Mm-hmm. But to create good examples and role models of DAOs, um, which is what we're trying to help with in the narrative, bringing lawyers together from our network and uh, people in the insurance business and professional services and consultants who have an ex- a sincere interest. They want to understand this. They want to take their knowledge and they want to help contribute it to these, uh, to these communities. Yeah. And I think the idea behind DAO, it's tricky for some people. So the more use case that we start to see pop up, which we're already beginning to see, the more people will be interested in becoming part of the DAO. Yeah. And I mean, there's already arguments and conversations being had around like, do DAOs ultimately represent the future of work? Like, is this idea of having one kind of single corporate benefactor, as it were, who you exchange your time in in return for whatever value said entity kind of ascribes to your time is that model something that we need to continue with going forward now obviously there's going to be a place for it because of the the nature of like the diversity of human interests and the way that we organize and the way that we choose to organize that is obvious that's always going to be there but that is not to say that is the only thing that is going to be there there is always space for evolution in in the way that we do things because again like it's coming from a place of like looking at the way that things have always been done and reimagining there being a better way of doing it. And Ben, to your point, exactly. The, the idea of a hybrid workplace has always been a good idea. The, the fact of the matter is if we look at mental health and, and how, you know, one can just look at the statistics on Google for, you know, especially over the last couple of years, but that was, that was the spark that just, put it over the edge. People have been suffering in silence. Um, they've been stressed. And and now it just came to a head with the pandemic. But it's always been there. Financial stress, social stress, emotional stress, having to get up, get crammed on a subway to go to an office to show your face. Um, people can work productively in hybrid environments. And we've seen that. And the changes when you ask the people, the majority of people, like, would this work better for you? And you give optionality, you get much better productivity. And I think the last two years have brought to light so many areas of opportunity where digital 
really aligned with physical, whether it's human capital, products, services, assets, investment groups, the timing has come and the desire for these things is at an all-time high for a good reason. We want to be more productive as a society. That's the thing. It's not about laziness. It's how can we be more productive in less time so we can have that time to do other things? Why do we want to get caught up waiting for weeks, stressing? Do we, do we get that approved, not approved? When you become more efficient and we create more efficient structures, we create time to give back to people, to do the things that matter so they can be more productive because they're better rested and they feel better about their input. Like it, it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And ultimately, it all boils down to empowerment. And that is where a lot of this technology comes in, like really kind of comes into its own because we saw it initially with, with Web1, um, people felt significantly more empowered. At the beginning of Web2, being able to build online communities, being able to network with individuals with shared interests before it got co-opted into whatever it is today. Again, it was about empowerment. And now we are getting to a stage where that empowerment is possible on a direct basis without there being someone who is moderating the interactions, as it were, without there being someone providing a space where it can happen because you can choose your own space. And and DAOs in their, in their highest form are the ultimate form of respect for oneself and one another. If you really, I mean, because the question was, what's a DAO? A decentralized autonomous organization. Okay, great. You know, perfect. But really what, what is at the heart and soul of a DAO is universality. It's saying we believe that society in partnership with some form of structure whether we can completely self-govern or not, or we can come up with a better structure, what re really takes for the Tao to work and to stick is respect and courage with our own ideas, respect and courage for others, and the ability to work collectively. Then decentralization can work. But the purity, the, the self-nullification to the group, that's what it really comes down to. Can I blend in with the group versus try to control the group? Can I be one of a hundred versus the one out of a hundred? And that's really when we're operating at a higher level, it's that alignment between ego or checking the ego and saying, I want what's reasonable for all. And, and that may not be what's, I don't know that best... It's what's reasonable. What can we agree to and then build from there? But it really comes down to decentralization is about respecting oneself and, and others and this universal nature and this oneness. And can that, can that hold its place alongside of uh, things that need to be governed, uh, so to speak? Can self-governance, can self-governance coexist with absolutism, if you will, the extremes, where can you find the middle ground? Awesome. And I think that is a, a perfect place to lead me into my last question as we are starting to bump up against the hour now. Um, we're going to go down a bit of a philosophical rabbit hole for this last one. Oh boy. Um, a small question, as it were. Um, you ready what is... Okay. <laughs> I'll cue this one up especially. What is the ultimate change 
that you would like to see DAOs bring to the world? Told you it was a small one. You want you? I'm going to give you. You start and I'll finish. Or no, you want me to start and you finish. You want the last word? We'll, we'll go back and forth on this one. You okay. start. I'll take over. You you pair it off. Whatever. I'm so Ben, the question is, what what would I like to see? Give me the question once again. What is the ultimate change that you would like to see DAOs bring to the world? I'd like to what I just said before. I'd like to see if a if this world can truly exist on the basis of uh, universality and self-nullification to groups that are higher purposed and can that model work can we create a a vehicle whereby it disproves the old model that says the the world needs judges people need hierarchy and aristocracy um and i'd rather see meritocracy and everybody gets the spotlight, Andy Warhol's, everyone gets their 15 minutes of fame where people truly celebrate that fame for another versus why didn't I get the credit? I would love to see that level of decentralization and democratization and celebration of one another by each other. And that would be pretty damn cool. And whether that's financial to achieve financial means, whether that's again, social, philanthropic, impactful, can we really come together and in a spirit of oneness to do amazing things, to address some big global challenges we have and some great disparities we have uh, in this world and within the countries and the peoples within it. So let me, yeah, you and, have the last word, yeah, kid. To add, in, add on to what he's saying, I really would like to see DAOs being used not only for everybody to collect to one thing, but also to have the ability to, let's say it's 100 people, to highlight each of those 100 people's different abilities in a collection where they all come together to really achieve something great. For me, I'm particularly focused on using DAOs in a very charitable way. And I think that if everybody can collect to one idea and really focus to achieve one purpose. Yet at the same time, everybody is really bringing to the table their individual skill set. That's what I'm really looking forward to. And I'm going to, I'm going to put a bow on the package, diversity, equity, inclusion, accommodation, democratization. Mm -hmm. That this comes down to we're better together and if we can create a structure to your point, Jeremy, Ben, to your point, and all the great people we're talking to uh, in, in the reorg communities and other communities, people just want to get together and get along and do big things, good things for the world. Maybe we're at a place in time with a frame of mind that we can actually make that happen. Beautiful. Could not have said it better myself. Thank you so much gents this has been absolutely fantastic you've been My absolutely boy. awesome drew jeremy yeah we, jeremy, I, I, I wish i had half as much wisdom as you do 10 years prior because i've got a good decade on me you. too guys <laughs> guys thank you so much and everyone who has tuned in um thank you so much for the engagement um and i hope to see you all again next time awesome thank you 
that was the Daustronaut podcast. Thank you very much for joining me on this exciting voyage through the uncharted territories of the blockchain universe. Please do make sure that you hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are choosing to listen today. That way you are guaranteed to keep your seat on the fastest rocket into the decentralized future. Once again, do remember to disembark the vessel safely and that nothing said on this podcast is financial advice. With that said, I hope you have enjoyed joining me on this quest and I will catch you next time.